I was hoping to do today is, is uh, uh, speak to you today on, on the topic of forgiveness and really kind of go over recovering forgiveness and understanding forgiveness. Because in my experience as a care pastor, especially for the Smithfield campus, many times I'm working with different people and they have a misunderstanding of what it means to forgive. I think there are these myths that maybe people have told us or society has told us, and we think we know what forgiveness is, but I, I, wanna, I, I really want to saturate this in the Word. So if you have, if you have your Bible, let's start with uh, uh, a section of scriptures we, we're probably all pretty familiar with, but it's in Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. If you got your Bible, wave it up. Let me see the Bibles up here. Anybody got the fake Bibles? I see some phones out there. That's all right. Digital Bibles. I love it. That's great. Don't leave home without it. I've gotten to the point where I, I would forget my phone or forget my wallet, so I just combined it all in one thing. I've got a wallet slash phone slash Bible. It's got everything in there. All right. So uh, let's go to, uh, to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start at verse, uh, verse 5. It says, this is Jesus, and he's going into these lengthy teachings about prayer, about fasting, giving to the needy, really what it means to be a kingdom-minded person. Amen how to be a Christian, how to live a Christian life. How to, what does it look like to have Jesus Christ living in your life? What does it look like to put God first? And, and in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 5, he, he starts teaching us. He says, but when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Can we be real today? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Can we be real? So let's just put aside any fakeness. You know, that, that religious, that churchness, that, that Christian, like our best foot forward. Let's just put that aside and let's be real before God. Amen. Because he says, when you pray, don't pray like a hypocrite. That's good. Yeah. Where you're saying one thing, but your heart's in another place. Let's just make sure that we're coming before God and our, and our hearts are pure. Our hearts are right before him. Okay? It says, be, uh, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by all men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. God searches our hearts, doesn't he? He sees, what's in, he sees what's in secret. He sees what's in the closet, what nobody else sees, what nobody even knows you're thinking. And those things you've been wrestling with for years, I'm, I'm praying deliverance and freedom today over you. Because there are things no one else has seen, but God sees it. God sees it. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Forgiveness has a reward. Say that with me. Forgiveness has a reward. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Before you came in today, God knew what you needed to hear. I don't want you to think this is a message for somebody else. Don't start elbowing your wife. Hey, I already said I'm sorry. You never forgave me. This is for you. You might need, there might be some issues that you got to work on too, okay? I, I, I want to just make sure that I'm preaching to everybody. I believe that, every, that nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by accident. It's just ingrained into, in me. And I believe that every one of you that are here today in the sound of my voice need to hear this message. Amen? Amen. 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 Good, good. All right. So here's what he says. He says, this is how you should pray. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Daily. 
Daily. Say daily. daily. It's a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. We, we could talk about forgiveness, too. Forgiveness, not always a one-time thing. Okay? Daily bread. This is a prayer. He said, you don't have to pray this prayer, by the way, every single day the same way. I've taught my kids to do it because I think it's a good model. It's because Jesus said this is how you should pray. So at night, I like to pray it over my kids. I like them to pray it over each other. They'll pray it over me. But at a young age, I want them to know these words. I want them to be familiar with these concepts and these principles because God's a good father. And what he wants to teach us about forgiveness is a good thing. So here's, here's what he says. He says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do you see what's going on here? They're saying, God, God, you forgave me, right? And I'm going to forgive those around me. We're going to come back to that. That's so important. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father, this is powerful. You got to see this. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not, uh uh-oh, say but. It's the biggest word, I'm telling you. Once that word comes in, something radical, something that may make you a little uncomfortable, it may scratch your head, you may say, well, I'm not sure if I agree with that. But here's what he says. But if you do not forgive their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Just let that sit in for a minute. Just step back. Just think for just a second. Is there any ill will that I have for someone else? Is there anything? that I've been holding on to, a hurt, maybe a relationship, uh, maybe it was at work, something, anything, whatever it is. I mean, I, I can sometimes think of, I've forgiven these people, but I can think of hurts from my childhood where it's still a little sensitive to, to go there and to think about it. And I believe that forgiveness and unforgiveness these are, this is a concept that is absolutely central to the gospel message. Central. I don't want you to lose sight of that. It is absolutely to the center of the gospel message. It's right up there with grace, with mercy. It's forgiveness. It's right there. If you're not walking and living in forgiveness, you're not walking in the gospel. You have to see this. They go together. A Christian is a forgiven person. A Christian is a forgiving person. Let me first uh, just kind of knock out for you, if you're taking any notes. Let me knock out for you four myths that I think are associated with, with forgiveness. This has popped up because when I talk to couples or talk to people who are experiencing hurt and they're going through a, a, a tough time, I think that these myths just keep popping up. Uh, and the first one is, the first myth that I just want, want to knock out of, the, uh, out of our minds today is that forgiveness equals forgetting. Forgiveness equals forgetting. I've heard, if you forgive, you forget, right? How many have heard that? Show of hands. Yeah, a few of you. A bunch of you. Maybe half or more of you. Forgiveness is forgetting. That would be true if you were a computer, right? <laughs> Where you just click delete. And that file goes into a trash can, and then it's gone to oblivion. Yeah, come on, that's good. But God didn't make you as a computer. That's right. yeah. You're not a robot. You're yeah. flesh and blood. You have yeah. a heart. Yeah. You, you struggle with hurts. 
Instead, I don't think it's like hitting delete. I think it's more like one of those memes that play over and over again. You know what I mean? Shows up on your Facebook feed where you, you, it, it rolls up and then you're, you're looking at this thing. And before you know it, you, you've realized, wow, I've been watching this thing like four or five times. It's just replaying over and over again. And I think that many times is what happens with hurts, where they replay over and over again. And it just happens over and over. We just keep looking at it and absorbing it and rehearsing it. And I want to say that forgiveness isn't forgetting. Because if you can acknowledge that God is a big God, a good God, that he can take that hurt and he can still do something with it. He can still turn it for good. There's a verse that that will transform the way you think about every situation, even bad situations that come, come against you. It's in Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. That means that even a bad thing, even a horrible offense, a deep hurt, God can still take these things and turn them and work them for good. That's right. I know it's a little quieter in here because we have a hard time understanding how can that happen? A bad thing? Being abused? Being hurt? I think of uh, a man named Jim Elliott. Uh, If you know the story, Jim Elliott, 1950s, he was a 29-year-old man. He loved the Lord. He was was sold out for the gospel. He said, I'm going to go and preach the gospel. I want to go to people who have never heard the gospel before. And he found out about this tribe that was, I think it was Ecuador in in Central America. He said, I want to preach the gospel to these people. And he flew down there. He spent three years preparing himself, training, planning, three years. And he found four other guys that were like-minded. And he heard about this tribe. I think they were called the, the Ukas. And they were just a violent tribe. They were known as, like, anyone that went to this tribe and tried to speak to them or help them or inform them or introduce civilization to them, they'd be killed. Nobody came back. And other tribes would talk about how they would just throw spears at people. And they were just a vicious, hate-filled, violent tribe. But Jim Elliott said, I'm going to preach the gospel to these people. And he flew in there with uh, four of his friends. They took turns, you know, landing there. They spent about six days ministering to this tribe. And after six days, uh, Jim Elliott and his friends, they were all speared to death. They were killed. Horrible death. How could God take a horrible death like that and turn it into good? One of the wives of these missionaries said, God's not done with this tribe. She went down there. She went down there with her own kids, and she still felt a heart for the tribe. Because she was a gospel person, because she was transformed by the gospel, and she was a forgiven person, she wanted to extend forgiveness to this violent tribe. Her name's Elizabeth Elliot, and Elizabeth Elliot goes down there, and uh, she preaches the gospel to them. And one of the other children who lost their father also went into the town and preached the gospel to this tribe. And the boy got to know the man who killed his father, speared to death, his own daddy. 
And that boy and Elizabeth Elliot and other women ministered to this tribe. That man, the murderer, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Gave his life. But it, but it doesn't stop there because this man, this, this Indian uh, violent man comes to Christ, knows Jesus. And now this man, the Indian, the murderer, who is now forgiven, who has been changed by the gospel, now goes with the boy who is now a grown man. And to this day, they still preach the gospel together. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. God is so good and so powerful that he can take an awful, wretched, horrible situation and turn it for good. I was listening to an interview with this boy, with the man who murdered his father, and they're standing side by side in a, with the cameraman, and they're interviewing them. And they're like, tell us about this relationship. Isn't it like weird? And, and he said, no, he's like a father to me now. Oh, my gosh, if you don't feel the Holy Spirit. He's like a dad to me. And the murderer, it feels like he is now given a second chance at life. Isn't that what the gospel is? Come on, it's a second chance at life. God never wastes a hurt. There are times when you are offended and you are hurt that God is trying to do something bigger than that hurt. He's trying to do something glorious even with that hurt. Maybe it's to make you a little more compassionate, Mm -hmm. sensitive to other people, hurting people. Maybe it's just to make you pray harder. Maybe it's to make you aware of some spiritual blind spots in your own life that you're not aware of. The second myth that I want to knock out, the first one, of course, was forgiving is forgetting. That boy never forgot who murdered his dad, but he also never forgot that God forgave him and that the gospel's for everyone. Okay? Number two, forgiveness does not equal trusting, okay? The myth is that if I forgive him, now I have to trust him. That is not the case. We are not, we are commanded everywhere in the Bible, let's be clear. We are commanded everywhere in the scriptures to forgive. When Peter was at, uh, I think it was Peter, he asked, uh, or they were having a discussion about forgiveness, um, and they were saying, you know, how many times do we have to forgive? And uh, the normal answer back then, all the rabbis said, if somebody hurts you for the same thing, you forgive them three times. The fourth time, that's it. Now you're allowed to really hold a grudge. <laughs> now you can, you know, you can have vengeance against them. Now you can really sock it to them. You can talk about them. You know, this was the teaching during the time. So when Jesus threw it back at them, Peter was like, well, I know what the rabbis say three times, so I'll give the holy answer seven times, because seven is the perfect number. It's, the, the, it's God's number, so seven would be the answer. And Jesus says, no, it's not seven, but it's what? Seventy times seven, which basically is a way to say way more than you think you can do it. Way more than you think you can do it. So we are commanded to forgive, but we are not commanded. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say, you've got to trust people. You've got to trust everybody. In fact, let me just knock this out. The Bible is very clear. You've got to test people, test the spirits. 
Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a doormat. That's right. That's right. If I loan you my credit card and I say, hey, you know, uh, pick up a pizza for us or whatever, and, and I look at my statement, I find out you, you cheated me. You filled up your, your gas tank and, and you stopped by, you know, uh, the Apple store and, you know, blessed yourself with my credit card. If that happens, I, I will forgive you because <laughs> I preached this and so now I have to, right? But, but don't ever think you're going to get my credit card ever again. And, and that's true in every relationship. There are times when I'm working with couples where there's been infidelity, and this is the big issue. You know, I, 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 the, the husband who's the cheater is like, you know, God says she has to forgive me, and she keeps bringing it up all the time, and she, 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 she asks for my phone, and she wants to know where I'm at, and she was supposed to forgive me. I'm like, wait a minute. She did, and I'll work with her on the forgiveness part, but you, you got to do some building back of the trust. You got to earn the trust back. Trust is not something that's just given, but it's something that's built up. When it's knocked down, when it's been shaken, you've got you to gotta strengthen that thing. So trust, forgiveness does not just mean you've got to trust the person. Trust happens over time. And when I work with couples like that, I, I tell the, the, the cheater, man, you, if you want to make this thing work, I mean, I'll work with the other one. They're going to be working on forgiveness, but you are going to have to spend years now just giving them your phone being completely transparent, letting them know where you're at. You're not going to get defensive. Why are you asking me? Why are you all up in my business? Why do you want to know my passwords? Because you violated their trust. And trust is something that takes time to rebuild. All right, number three, the third myth. I want to get to what forgiveness is, so I better hurry up. My goodness. All right, number three, forgiveness. Forgiveness is about the other person. That's a myth. See, we sometimes want to hold on to the pain. We want to hold on to the bitterness because I want to get back at them for what they did to me. They hurt me. It's not right. But forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. It's about the condition of your heart. Sometimes we think forgiveness is like the guy who, who who eats the rat poison, right? And the rat dies. I mean, no, no. He wants the rat to die. That's a, I messed up my own story there. Uh, he's like the guy who eats the rat poison, and he dies, and the rat's still living. And that's what holding bitterness is like. You think you're getting back at the person? They moved on. They forgot all about it. They're not even thinking about it. Again, some of those hurts that I experienced early on, you know, uh, being that middle school kid on the school bus with the bully on the, on the bus messing with me. He doesn't remember that, but I remembered it. That was something that for a long time just would play over and over in my head. But it's not about that person. It's about you. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about whether or not you are a Christian who has been affected and infected with the gospel. So now it's just coming out of your life. All right, here's the fourth one. Fourth uh, myth associated with forgiveness is that if I forgive them, that means they're off the hook, that they're off the hook. Uh Uh-oh. What I mean by this 
is that you are going to agree that you are letting letting them off the hook. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be consequences to their actions. This is where you basically say, God, I, I am not going to try to get back at them. I'm not going to try to hurt them for what they did. I'm not going to try to seek out revenge and punishment for it. I'm going to step back and, like it says in Romans 12, I'm going to let you be the avenger. I'm going to let you be the one that carries out justice. Let me read this from Romans 12. Listen to this. It says, if possible, this is verses 18 to 21, if possible, so far as it depends on you, let that just be like freeing for us today. Because have you ever been in a relationship where you're, you're tied to someone and you're trying to live at peace with them, but it's not working? They just keep pushing back. They want to keep arguing. They're, they're, it's not a two-way street. Here he says, this is Romans 12. He says, if possible. In other words, it's not always going to be possible. So far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. That means there's going to be some people that just aren't going to want to hear it. They're not gospel-minded. They, they're not mature when it comes to relationships and friendships. And, and you just have to kind of step away from these kind of people. But he says, if possible, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave to the wrath of God. That's some hard words right there. We love talking about the love of God. But God is also a wrathful God. You open up Revelation and you see him just opening up all kinds of nonsense on wickedness and people who have refused to bow to the name of Jesus and live for Christ, even though they've had many opportunities. They just say, I don't want anything to do with it. And God says, this is the end. I've told you it's going to come. And there comes a time when the wrath of God can be poured on on these people. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy, this is how we're supposed to react. Leave it to God. Leave it to him. But for you, he says, for you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. All right. Some of you are getting this. This is hard. You think of the people who are hurting? You don't want to feed them. You want to see them starve. You want to see them wither away. This is the flesh. But come on, we're talking about new lives. It's no longer your old life. It's not the way it used to be. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. You're not dictated by that. You're walking a new life. You have new patterns. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I know what we want to think. We want to think it's like, oh, burning coals. Now they're... You're like smothering them with goodness, <laughs> killing them with kindness. You're just being so nice to them. The truth is, they'll just keep taking it. What he's talking about here is they'll be so ashamed that they would treat you in that way. Because you are the kind of person that's willing to go the extra mile. You are motivated by love. You've been transformed, changed by the gospel. He says, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is all about leaving the last word to God. Leaving the last word to God. Now, uh, when, I, when I do speak to people about forgiveness, I want to talk about the, the how. How do you forgive? How do you do this? Because most of the time, people are told, forgive, forgive, but they just don't know how. 
Again, when I talk to some of these couples that have experienced these deep problems, they're just like, I do. And honestly, I'm amazed by it. But they're like, I still love my spouse, even though they cheated on me. I love them. And I, and, I, I, and I love the Bible, and I love Jesus, and I know God wants me to forgive, but I just don't know how. What does that look like? What do I have to do? It starts. The first thing is you've got to acknowledge the hurt. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to be honest about it. You're not making excuses. You're saying this thing was real. It was hurtful. You're not ignoring it. Forgiveness is not the power of positive thinking or wishful thinking. Forgiveness is gospel thinking. You've been changed by the gospel, and now you're going to extend forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, if someone is, if there's sin, someone sinned against you, what should you do? You go to that person. Again, Christians are not supposed to be doormats where we just lay down for everyone. You open your fridge to every stranger that wants to take advantage of you. You have to give your car keys to something. No. My goodness. You're not called to, do, called to that. If someone sins against you, Jesus outlines, he says, go to them. And if they won't respond to it, when you've tried to talk to them and reconcile and bring up this issue, now you grab some people from the church and you go to them. And if they still won't listen, you've got to put them out. But, he says, the goal should always be to what? To forgive and to win them over is what he says in Matthew 18. When you go to people who have hurt you and you try to go to them, you've got to check your heart first. That's right. But make sure you're going to them with the heart that says, I'm hoping to win you over. I want you to, you've hurt me. You've grieved me. But I'm not going to hold that against you. I forgive you. And I'm hoping that we can, we can work together in the gospel again. I think of um, probably one of the best examples of this is when Paul was writing his last letter to Timothy. Paul was saying, uh, let me just give you the the groundwork if you're not not familiar with the the story. But Paul, he was in prison at this time. He went to the courts. The court said, no, you're going to lose this thing. And he was probably about two, maybe a few weeks away from being executed. So he is literally St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's at the end of his ministry. As he at the, he's at the end of his life. He's in chains. People have abandoned him. He's more or less alone. He's writing this letter to Timothy, one of his faithful friends. And uh, this is what he writes. Let me read this from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Do you see what he's saying here? There's a lot in here. There's two things. First of all, Paul is saying that he didn't just hurt me. So this was a personal thing. He he caused me great harm. Acknowledge it. You got to acknowledge it. But then second, he says that he also opposed our message. He opposed the gospel. I don't know what this guy did. I don't know if he was, you know, picketing outside the churches that Paul was preaching. I don't know if he was trying to split. I don't know if he was a false teacher trying to steal the sheep. I don't know what was going on. But in one sentence, you're seeing some of this forgiveness and the gospel and how it plays out. And Paul acknowledges this guy hurt me. He hurt our work. He hurt the church. He hurt the ministry. 
But then he's able to step back and he says, you know what, though? I'm going to release it because the Lord will repay him for what he's done. That's hard. He's in chains. Alexander, the coppersmith, this metal worker, he still had his job. He still had his life. He still had his freedom. His life wasn't so bad. But Paul, he's in prison. He's got a few more weeks before he's executed. And he's writing this thing out. And it's hard for him. You ever been there? It's hard for you to see, God, where's the justice in this? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I've been faithful. I've been sticking it out. I'm all alone now. I'm facing the end of my life. I'm about, he says, I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. But Alexander, he's still going out there, causing all kinds of trouble, causing mischief. It takes faith to forgive. It takes great faith to forgive. It doesn't happen overnight. Paul, re- I'm sure he really wrestled with this thing. But he acknowledged it. He started with that, and then you got to call him out. He called him out. He, he called him by name. He said, stay away from this guy, Alexander the coppersmith, the metal worker. He's no good. He's a bad man. He hurt me personally, and he's been hurting the church. That's good. Don't try to minimize it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to rationalize it. Yeah. Don't try to yeah. bury it, yeah. but acknowledge it. Recognize the hurt. You can even grieve over it. But you are not going to allow it to master you, define you, or shape the rest of your life. Because you've been shaped by who? Come on. Jesus Jesus Christ. Good. All right, number two. got to keep going. Wow. Number two. Second way. The second uh, step in forgiveness. This has helped a lot of people. I hope it helps you. Is it helping anybody so far? All right, number two. Number two. You give up your right to get even. You give up your right to get even. Paul? Man. Paul was a gangster before he came to the gospel. I mean, he would chase down Christians. He, would, he, he was killing them, rounding them up, imprisoning them. He was there when the first Christian got killed. He was a murderer. If Paul was going and doing it the old way, he would have said, round up some guys and take care of Alexander the coppersmith. Get rid of that guy. He's trouble. But he's been changed by the gospel. And now Paul's able to step back and say, no, no, no. The Lord's going to repay him. Wow, God's going to deal with that's him. Awesome. We're going to protect the church, yeah. right? We're not going to trust this guy. Right. Remember the myth? We're not going to trust him. We're going to protect the church. So we're calling him out. We don't want him at, at the church. We don't want him associating with our people. But God's going to deal with him. God's going to have the last word with this man. There's a, uh, real quick, I want to share a story that just, it blows my mind every way because I see so much of, of what I'm preaching about in this couple. But uh, in December, uh, I had been working with this couple for, for, for a couple months. But in December, they, uh, it was a Friday before Christmas, which is two days before. Remember, Christmas was on a Sunday. This couple came to me and said, Pastor, uh, Pastor Dave, we responded to one of Pastor Steve's messages powerfully. Pastor Steve was talking about how God is going to raise up people in our church to go back to their workplace and be people of justice and a voice of righteousness. Anybody remember that or hear that? Listen to Amazing message. This couple responded to that, and they said, we do want to go back to our workplace, and we want to be people of justice so that when we see people being treated unfairly, we can step up and say something. 
responding to the message. We pray for that every Sunday. The man came and said, uh, we had... uh, we had a couple of people, because he, he's, he's kind of high up there. There's like the first guy that runs the whole thing. There's a second guy. He was the third guy in charge of this organization. The people under them were saying, it's not fair. We're being abused in our meetings. The way they talk about it is just really just crude. It's not professional. It's really bad. So they came to our, our guy, who's number three, and they said, uh, would you lead us and would you help us by confronting him and trying to get this thing changed. So he immediately thought of Pastor Steve's message. Go back to your workplace, be a voice of justice. He said, I don't really feel like I'm the best person to do it, but I'll do it. So he stepped into that role, was a voice to help people. Uh, He even went to the, um, he did it the right way too. Like he wasn't being backhanded about it. But he he did it. And uh, the the guy who was uh, first in charge, ends up responding, and he fires the guy who's, who was doing a lot of this uh, abusive, word, uh, abusive uh, uh, language and treating people in the workplace. So he's fired. That's a good thing. The, the, uh, but then the number one guy in this organization takes the number three, our guy, the Christian, and tells him, you're fired as well. Harsh. And this is when he stepped back. This was the Friday he's meeting with me before Christmas. And he's like, Pastor Dave, what do I do? This is weird. I mean, we did the right thing. We wanted to be a voice of justice. We wanted to help these people. And now I just lost my job just before Christmas. And they were like, we, we just bought a house. What should we do? And we're going to put it on the market. We're talking to a realtor now. Like, our whole life is upside down because we did this. What do we do? And that, like, I've got all the answers, right? <laughs> I'll call him and straighten it out. Don't worry. Like, I know you guys think pastors are supermen, but I mean, uh, so I just, uh, honestly, I, all I could do was, rem- uh, all I could remember was that, you know what? We're entering a season of fasting and prayer for two weeks. And I told them, I says, you know what? I want the two of you. I don't know what's going to happen here. We're going to pray for justice. We're going to pray that God has his way. We're going to pray that evil is, is, uh, is, is paid. Uh, but we're also going to be praying for you guys. And I want you guys to commit yourselves to prayer for the first two weeks of the year with pra- fasting and prayer. Come to church and give this thing to God. Because I believe if you give God these first two weeks, God's going to start reorienting the rest of your year and aligning things to bless your family. Things are a mess right now. You're in a storm right now. But I believe God is faithful. Amen? Amen. And I left it there. And I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I saw them in fasting and prayer, and I kept building their faith and just helping them. But then an amazing thing happened. It was maybe about a month ago now. They came to me, and they said, Pastor Dave, you're not going to believe this. But we ended up, they got a call back because they found out that I was fired, and he was fired wrongfully. Uh, It was definitely handled in the wrong way. But they said, because I was fired wrong, uh, now that number one guy, he's going to have to step down. (laughs) And they've offered me my old job back, and they're going to let me have it, I think he said, with three months paid leave. Come on, man. 
If you're willing to step back and say, God, you're a good father. You're a good judge. I'm in a mess right now. I don't know how to deal with this. My pastor doesn't know how to deal with it. But I'm going to trust that you will. Three months paid leave. And this couple, they're going through some things with some of their, their, their children who are grown up. And they said, we, uh, this is going to give us a chance to go now back and spend some time with our kids. That's awesome. And start working on the relationship there and helping them to get their lives back on track. God is a good God. Amen. A good God. Come on. But, you know, the beautiful thing was that this couple, they, ha- they came to me with a right heart. They didn't want to, they, they didn't want to take out revenge. They, they, they wanted to see change happen in this organization. They wanted to see the justice dealt with. And God honors that. He does. All right, number three. I've got to move on real quick here. Number three, a new, daily routine, a new daily routine. New daily routine. How often are you supposed to pray? Every day. We're praying for our daily bread. Forgiveness every day. You may need to start checking your heart. Am I still holding something against somebody? And have I hurt somebody? Let's talk about the other side of forgiveness for a minute. Have you hurt anybody, offended somebody, and you're just thinking, they'll suck it up, they'll grow up, they needed to hear that, whatever. But if you did it in the wrong heart, with the wrong spirit, with the wrong words, the wrong actions, you need to now go and start asking for forgiveness. All right? Uh, And that should be something just daily, daily. I mean, no longer are you going to be rehearsing the same hurt over and over again in your mind, but you're going to release it. You go from rehearsing to releasing. Number four, number four, you're not going to talk about it anymore. Number four, uh uh-oh. You're not going to talk about this hurt anymore. And there are three people that you're going to talk about this with. Number one, you're not going to talk about the offense with other people. That's good. Okay? Where now, because you are hurt, you want to start hurting this person and getting back at them by maligning them and slandering them. But it's true. But you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to gossip about other people. That's the others. Okay? The second person you're not supposed to talk to about it anymore is the offender. You're no longer going to start going to that person and holding that sin against them. Sometimes we like to hold on to these things like a wild card in our back pocket. The next time we get into a fight, if you bring up anything, I'm going to bring this thing up. Oh, you remember when you hurt me? Oh. And now it gets this weird thing in the relationship and the friendships and the marriages and the coworkers where you're just tiptoeing around this thing. Because I, don't want, I, I know that if we get into a fight, she's going to bring it up, and then there will be a blow-up, and I'll have to say I'm sorry, and then we're back to, no. You're just, if you have made up your mind in your heart to forgive this person, you're no longer going to bring it up with the offender. You've forgiven them. And then the third one is, is yourself. You're not going to talk about it with oneself. You're no longer going to start replaying those memories over and over again in your mind. You're not going to let that meme uh, play over and over again, that hurt, just re... Oh, my goodness. Honestly, it's like when we have people who have hurt us and we, we allow ourselves to to dwell on these things, it's like you're letting that offender live in your head rent-free. I was a landlord. And if you didn't pay me rent, (laughs) my wife knows, you got evicted. I mean, we took people to court. I forgave them. I forgave them. 
but I'm not letting anybody live in my house rent-free. Amen? All right, and last one. Last one, number five. This is the last. I'm sorry. All right, here we go. 28 seconds. Here we go. Forgiven people. Write this down. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. You know why Paul was able to write this letter in 2 Timothy and talk about Alexander the coppersmith? The reason why he was able to write in Romans 12 about forgiving and trusting God and vengeance is the Lord's is because he was forgiven. You read in Acts 7 when Stephen was being killed, was being persecuted, literally rocks are being thrown at him and he's being murdered. There was a man who was standing there and it was Paul. Paul was standing there. He played a hand in Stephen's murder. But as the rocks are hitting Stephen's face, and as Stephen is about to die as the first Christian martyr, Stephen's last words are, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul was in the audience. Paul heard that prayer. Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ where he was able to receive God's forgiveness, Stephen's forgiveness, and he was now able to forgive other people. May you be a people of forgiveness. Amen? Won't you stand with me so we can pray?